Hello and the warmest welcome to the second week of Standard Bank's Phenomenal Family Series. One of the positive outcomes seen over the last 18 months is that most corporates and family-run businesses are prioritizing ESG in their recovery and long-term growth strategies. By ESG, I mean environment, social and governance principles. Now, a strong investment portfolio can set your family up for success and financial freedom. While an impact-driven investment strategy is not only a benefit to your family, but also a benefit to the greater society in which you live. Now, with this in mind, this week, we're going to hear from subject matter experts on this topic of impact investing. I'm your host, Lerat Mbele, and I'm truly delighted that you could join us today. Our first guests are Mbali Makatini from Melville Douglas, well, and she'll articulate the Standard Bank's position on sustainable finance. We also have Stanlib's Jennifer Henry, who'll share details on our African Women's Impact Fund. Mbali is a scientist, having studied in both South Africa and at the University of Cambridge, and she's currently the head of ESG at Melville Douglas. She's played strategic and advisory roles in the banking sector and held various leadership positions, including her tenure in the Equator Principles Association as a member of the steering committee there, as well as a representative for the Middle East and the Africa region. She holds numerous honors, with the most recent being awarded by Accenture as a rising star in banking and financial services. She is a woman in science, and she's really passionate about STEM in Africa. So the warmest welcome to Mbali. Telling you about Jennifer, she is a CFA charter holder and a certified financial risk manager. As of 2019, she was appointed Head of Strategic Investments and a Manager of Research at Stanlib. She's also a board member of the CFA Society of South Africa and has been elected as President of the Society Effective of the 1st of September this year, 2021. This dynamic woman is passionate about ethical investment leadership, investment education, and also issues of diversity. Jennifer's passions and her background and current role within the group make her well-placed to be the lead portfolio manager for the African Women Leadership Fund, AWLF, that initiative, which is a collaboration between Standard Bank and the United Nations Economic Commission of Africa, UNECA. Let's start with you, Mbali. What is uh, Melville Douglas's view on impact investment? Hi, Lerato. Thank you for having me. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a, a great question. Our view on impact investing is, you know, it, it really is that we have an obligation firstly as a responsible investor to meet, our, to meet global challenges. Um, for example, the World Economic Forum publishes um, a report, a risk report every year. And in 2021, some of the top risks by likelihood were issues such as extreme weather, climate action failure, human and environmental damage, um, biodiversity loss, um, infectious diseases. Um, they also rated the top five risks in terms of impact um, with items such as infectious diseases, um, weapons of mass destruction, biodiversity loss, and natural capital resource uh, crises. So you can see that these are issues that pertain to ESG or sustainability and impact investing really allows us to target these or actively target these um, global challenges. Um, and impact investing in our view also allows us to help us stabilize and build resilience in our portfolios. 
Um, I think impact investing is a useful complement to those investments in our portfolio um, that don't have the impact investing um, alignment. For example, a study by Morgan Stanley uh, surveyed, I think it was over 10,000 um, equity mutual funds over the past seven years and found that social impact funds on average um, had lower volatility than those compared to non-impact funds. And I think if even if we bring it closer to home, um, COVID has been a great example of this where we've seen um, you know, funds that are ESG aligned or impact funds being more resilient um, in, in COVID and have outperformed uh, purely because they have, you know, these structures in place that look at things such as, you know, business continuity, occupational health and safety, for example, um, which um, wouldn't necessarily be the case in non-impact um, stocks. Um, I think another important thing is that it really helps us to align um, our values with our investments. Um, so it really helps us to make sure that we pursue uh, pursue the triple bottom line. So we would look at people, planets and profits. And with impact investing, um, you know, we look at investment investments um, creating that positive environmental societal impact without having to forego the, the, the financial benefits. So those are just some of the ways that we view impact investing in, uh, in Melville Douglas. And we see it as something that gives us a competitive advantage in the market. I love it. Conscientious worldviews. Can you share some examples, Mbali, of uh, sustainable uh, investment approaches and how impact investing really fits into this picture of sustainability in the investment space? Um, I think a useful way to look at how ESG or sustainability investment approaches have um, you know, progressed over time is starting with conventional investing, uh, progress into screening, ESG integration, uh, thematic investment, and then all the way up to impact investing, which is obviously the topic for today. Um, so impact investing, in my view, is the most progressive of these different investment approaches. Um, for example, conventional would not really look at your ESG factors or have limited view of these ESG factors. And then you'd have your screening, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. This is where we would potentially um, restrict or exclude certain controversial sectors, maybe things like tobacco, um, alcohol, um, thermal coal, for example, those would be um, sectors that we potentially see as not having that positive environmental or societal benefits. So some funds or some investors would, um, you know, decide to exclude those. And then ESG integration, which is a great way we also have in ESG integration in, in Melville Douglas, is by looking at different approaches in terms of how firstly you assess different stocks um, against uh, certain ESG eligibility criteria or, or sustainability criteria, and then you score those appropriately. And that really helps us to you know, make more informed and better um, investment decisions. And then um, I mentioned thematic in investments. We have this as well in Melville Douglas. Um, a great example is our uh, Melville Douglas uh, diversified responsible portfolios. And that looks at specific investment themes that are related to your sustainable development goals. Um, in, in that specific space, we are targeting them, themes including um, sustainable infrastructure. And in the future, we are going to be targeting water and uh, waste as a theme. And then impact investing, um, as it, 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 I mean, it speaks for itself. It's those um, investment processes or approaches that look to have a 
positive and more importantly, a miserable environmental and societal impact alongside those financial returns as well. So you mentioned the Sustainable Development Goals, Mbali, and of course, the United Nations has set the broad parameters in which we can uh, view this issue of uh, sustainability. But is alignment with the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, is that the only way to measure impact? It's not the only way to measure impact, but I think why, um, you know, we really look to the SDGs is because it's, it's really a a universal or a standardized way that we've that's been created at the blueprints you know so it helps us to have a benchmark that has been globally accepted to be a way of contributing towards those specific sustainable development goals so even though it's not the only way i think because it makes sense in creating that conformity and making sure that the way in which investment um impact investment is being um, undertaken and being measured is against a benchmark that is that's you know um, globally recognized so let's just do a small comparative analysis are high uh, financial performing stocks and high performing impact stocks are those things mutually exclusive no not at all um they're not mutually exclusive um we've seen lots of reports i think COVID really has been a great teacher in this space um where we've seen um impact uh, investments or ESG aligned investments are performing the, the traditional non-impact um, funds. So it's definitely not a mutually exclusive relationship. I think um, I've mentioned that, you know, it also brings rigor in the, in, and, and resilience in one's, in one's, excuse me, portfolio. So in having that rigor in, in that portfolio, then you would definitely also see those um, high performance and, 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 those, and those returns in your funds. So um, in my case, yeah, I definitely don't think that those are mutually exclusive. I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of um, members of the investment community, certainly pension funds and institutional investors, are starting to think in a more meaningful way about ESG. But do you think South African investors in general, that they should be doing more to uh, be primarily targeting social or environmental impact investments? Yeah, Lorata, that's a tricky one because, you know, if you look at South Africa's um, environment or our landscape, our context is, you know, we're struggling on, in terms of social issues. So one would obviously um, want to actively target those social issues, um, but obviously keeping in mind that, you know, issues of ESG are interlinked. You can't look at the environment's isolation to social issues. So where you can create synergies between these, these different elements, you know, I would encourage investors to make that move in that direction. But I do think, you know, looking at the South African context, it does make sense to make sure that we are escalating or making a, a, a bigger effort towards progressing social um, issues. Okay, over to you, Jennifer. It's time for us to talk about ESG, but let's start off with questions of empowering African women. The AWLF initiative, it speaks more to impact investments. What is uh, the difference between ESG and uh, impact investing. Thank you, Lerato, and thank you for the opportunity to speak about the initiative and the fund and the foundation that's been set up alongside that to empower women in Africa. And um, Mbali has touched on that in that she has indicated that ESG needs to be integrated into the investment process. Uh, but often you can say that ESG is more sort of a negative screening. So you want to avoid companies 
that have got bad practices that negatively impact the environment or society or poor governance that leads to high risk. Impact investing has been deliberate, deliberate about seeking out those opportunities that will either grow or improve the environment or um, the social construct around us and basically improve society for all. Fantastic. And there's no society that can thrive without honoring its women. Now, how is impact investing? How's that related to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals that we've been talking about? I think Mbali also touched on that when speaking about whether you can only um, measure impact by the SDGs. Um, it is just a very good way and a framework and a common one which is understood on a global scale that allows um, companies, asset managers, investment companies to firstly seek out where they should be focusing, um, whether it's areas of say poverty and in this case sort of um, the gender lens investing side and also allows them to set targets which can be measured um, over, over a specific time. So for example, the um, African Women Leadership Impact Fund is looking to make a positive impact on SDG 5, which speaks to gender equality. Um, but also over time would also improve economies and businesses, which then speaks to SDG 8. So this initiative in itself is aligned to the SDGs and can use those SDGs as a guidance to set those targets. Okay, empowering women is one of the core principles of the UN SDG. So the AWLF is a unique take on what's known as SDG number five. What do you think or what do you mean by this? So um, if you look at SDG five, um, it seeks to seeks to implement um, equal rights and opportunities for women. But what you do find is even if you put in the laws and these can be measured and targeted in terms of giving women equal rights, you often find that there are biases out there that allow that would that would stop women from participating fully, um, even if they do have those rights. Therefore, you see in the um, financial sector across all the sub um, financial sectors, whether it's asset management or banking or just general finance, that women are very underrepresented and men completely dominate all those investment decisions that are being made. So we are seeking to actually empower women investment professionals and not just grow the number of women investment professionals, but also grow the assets which they manage and grow the capital allocation decisions that they make. And one day over time, we would want it to be equal, equal amount of decisions made across capital structures between you know, men and women. Okay, but how does the initiative speak to the other UN SDGs? There's about uh, 17 of them. Yes, and you find that across Africa, women are the ones who are toiling away in many of these sort of agri-sectors or related to SMEs. And when they are looking to expand, whether they are looking for expansion capital or to start up a, a new venture, um, they are often faced with uh, men on the other side who would make the decision on whether to allocate to them. And, those, and then they're faced with many biases. So what we would want to do is put more women investment managers in front of these women entrepreneurs so that they can basically understand each other better and would be willing to allocate more to, to women. And the, the women that have applied to the initiative itself are across many sectors. 
whether it's related to um, education or um, agriculture, healthcare, and all of those sectors actually speak to the other United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Now, how does the initiative support women fund managers and support them operationally? I think that's important because um, women-owned asset managers are still pretty much in their infancy and do need quite a lot of operational supports in terms of either systems or people and also to be able to understand how to run an, an asset management um, company uh, optimally. So the um, initiative itself has created a foundation alongside the fund, which would then allow us to receive donation type and foundation type funding. And that will then be used to assist these um, women asset managers to set up their businesses operationally. And that foundation can then also allow us to allocate capital to these women fund managers so that they can then go and invest in underlying businesses. So as you know, the uh, Phenomenal Family series looks at family-owned businesses and funds, and within those families are generations that are taking over the structures and the systems of those businesses. So in terms of the context that we're in right now, the AWLF, is it intended to create a multi-generational network effort? And if so, how can it do that? And um, tell us what you mean by these linkages. I think the AWLF initiative is intended to be multi-generational. And what we mean by that is by uh, empowering these women investment professionals to either set up these women asset management companies or to expand them and to scale them up, they will then be in a position to employ young women investment professionals and actually grow the number of women professionals. Also, they will mentor them and they will um, grow them into great portfolio managers and analysts who will then bring on the next generation of women investment professionals. So that's the impact that you will have when it comes to the um, financial side or the women investment professional side of it. But you also have this multi-generational impact or the potential to get a lot larger scale. If these women fund managers are then allocating more to women businesses, they then groom the next generation of women entrepreneurs. And therefore, we see this as being, as I said, multi-generational and the benefits and impact will go on for many, many years and well beyond me. <laughs> Ladies, it's been great having a conversation with you. You clearly are walking the talk and I'll tell you the optics look great. Young women in the investment space making a difference in the world. It's, 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 it's just a wonderful thing to be able to see and participate in. So thank you very much for your keen insights, Mbali and Jennifer. Stanbank's position on environmental, social and governance is uh, really quite inspiring and it's wonderful to see this generation seizing the mantle. <music>